What's up? It's the boys. Today we're going to be talking about labor and immigration. All right, so let's just jump right into this. So, Hayden, what were some of the specific issues and conditions unions attempted to erase or improve? Were they successful? Um, I know some of the issues and conditions were like they fought for better work wages and they wanted safer work environments. I don't think it initially worked out for them, but eventually um, it did work out. Mm-hmm. Many of them also wanted like benefits. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to receive more reasonable hours because they were working like 12 to 16 hour days days, and they were fighting for, you know, the eight hour day. Um, What about like, how did unions function back then? Like, what were their methods? Um, Well, they typically would start out, I think, in like local unions. So it'd be like in one factory, it'd be like a union um, in it eventually led to them striking against like bigger corporations. Um, I mean, they, they would just go on strike or they like, I guess they wouldn't work. They'd boycott the companies. I think was a big way. Yeah. And another big part of, um, uh, unions in the, in this time period is that they would pick it, you know, like they'd stand outside with like, the stereotypical yeah. white sign, like white picket sign. Yeah, like oppression. Yeah, plotting his oppression. Yeah. Um. What about a monopoly? Like, define a monopoly. And, um, like, describe specifically how Rockefeller and Carnegie created their monopolies. Okay, so a monopoly is like the exclusive possession or like control of a supply. Um, and. Something like Andrew Carnegie, he's like vertical integration to monopolize. He would buy out every part of production, like of steel, including like transporting and refining. And so it just created a big monopoly. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Rockefeller, he like physically bought all of his competition and like at the height of his business owned 90% of the of like all oil. And so, I mean, they were definitely... Robber barons. No, they were definitely captains. Robber of... barons. Why do you think they were robber barons? Um, I think they were robber barons because they were only out for themselves. I mean, they were monopolizing their industry by buying everything out, giving less money to the people and more to themselves. And I know, like, they were like, oh, I'm going to donate to, like, a college or I'm going to create my own college and stuff like that. But they were still really doing it for themselves. And so I think they were causing less money to be shared throughout the country and more was just going towards them. I personally believe that they were both captains of industry. I mean, the world, the business world especially, is survival of the fittest. And if you can't keep up, that's just kind of like too bad. Like you should have taken up on that opportunity while you could. Mm-hmm. So now going on to like segment two, um, what were some like push and pull factors for immigrants during uh, the 19th and early 20th centuries? Well, I mean, for all immigrants, it was different. Like I'll just use Italy, for example, like they were experiencing a lot of natural disasters and diseases in the country. 
while they saw America as like a healthy country where you weren't seeing disease or like disasters like that. Or like Ireland, like Britain was physically starving them because mm-hmm. like they were taking like all of the crops that they're growing. And America had like a lot of open farmland that the Irish could take up. Hmm. Um, I think that a lot of people were escaping like famines and like religious persecution and just war and stuff within their countries. I think they felt like they needed to migrate towards America because they heard from people writing to them and stuff how much the U.S. offered. Um, I know that people like like from China and stuff were coming because they're... Um, their people would write home to get them. They're like, oh, uh, the rivers are running with, like, milk and stuff like that. Just weird things. Um, and I think that was to try to kind of give them hope and stuff. I don't know. Um, what kind of discrimination and prejudices did newcomer Americans face when immigrating and living in the United States? Um, many were, like, immediately stigmatized. Like, for example, the Chinese were told that they needed to keep a photo ID on them. And if they didn't have that or their immigration papers, uh, they could be deported like right then and there. And also many like racist mobs destroyed homes and town centers of people, like especially of Chinese and like uh, Irish descent, like this destroyed the communities that they had built. Yeah, I think that's a big part. Uh, but on top of it, like even before getting to America, some of them were stuck on places like Angel Island or whatever it's called for up to like a year, um, which I think was pretty, pretty uh, traumatic for them. And then like they'd be limited to jobs. Like you'd see places when they're like offering a job, it'd say like no Irish or no- nothing like that. Um, and on top of it, like the laws and stuff that, that restricted them. Like the Chinese had the laws, like no, uh, you can't walk around with like a stick on your shoulder. I think that was one that they tried to get to be a thing. And I think that was very um, like op- oppressive is the word I think, mm-hmm. because uh, it was just trying to keep their culture like out of the way, claiming it's not important. How did newcomer Americans attempt to resist prejudice, maintain cultural pride, and stay safe once in the United States? Many just kind of, like, resided within the communities they built, you know? Like, they didn't really, like, speak when spoken to, but, like, don't really talk to anybody. Like, they didn't want to, like, instigate anything between, like, other races simply because of all the hate that had been going around. What about, uh, what about your opinion on that? I think to, like, resist prejudice and stuff, um, people like the Chinese, you know, they refuse photo ID laws, permits, and other stuff. Um, them also, like, writing articles in newspapers um, that would, like, talk down on, on the laws and stuff, I think, were a good way to uh, to resist prejudice. And then they'd also do, like, Chinatowns, like one in, like, San Francisco that would very much keep their culture alive and keep them all in a nice, safe environment because everybody was, like, accepting of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what two important contributions or celebrations of immigrant groups 
did you have and why should people learn about them? Um, Irish people really helped fix like our labor laws and they helped make the workforce like a safer and more enjoyable place due to like the mass amounts of them that made up the workforce and how they like fought for the things that we have in our labor rights today. And also uh, Chinese people helped change our immigration and travel like rights and laws because of like their tens of thousands of them suing the government based off of being discriminated through like immigration. I think one, and I know it says during this time, but it's kind of around there. I think that Independence Day is a very big celebration that everybody should learn about because uh, the U.S. was built off of immigrants and those were immigrants that were doing stuff for for America. And um, I think that that one's pretty important, even though it doesn't really pertain to the time era. Another one um, would have to be with like the Irish because they forced a lot of labor laws. And without them here, we wouldn't have like the McDonald's shamrock shake and like potatoes and stuff for like St. Patrick's Day. That should about do it. Um, Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.